eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Summer's heat can be draining on your vehicle's battery. Rising temps can cause battery fluids to evaporate. So stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts right now. Have your battery tested free of charge. If that battery does need to be replaced, the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts will help you find the exact superstar battery that fits your car or truck at a guaranteed low price. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. All right, Todd, I am all in on the Cleveland Browns. Jim, I didn't want to hear that. I didn't think you were going to be drinking the Kool-Aid like everybody else here being a savvy better. I think the Browns are going to be a fascinating story and would make an excellent reality TV show. Uh, I'm just not sure they're going to get any of my money in the futures market and probably not all that often on a week-to-week basis. What's cracking? Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast, episode 89. We have got a really good one for you today. Now, we're coming off one of our best pods ever with the beast that is Jocko Willink. I knew I had to chase that beast with another sort of beast. And today, we're going to get down and chop it up about the world of sports gambling with somebody who's been working the numbers in Vegas for more than a decade and a half. He's the former senior race and sports analyst at Caesars Palace. He's been the lead gambling analyst at FS1 since 2013. He is the host and founder of the Bet the Board podcast, but you may know him best as the co-host of Lock It In, which just wrapped up its first season on FS1. My guest is Todd Furman, if you have ever placed a bet on a game or you plan to do so ever again, you're going to want to make sure you lock this in because my man's got intel and advice that you're going to need going forward. So before you get down, make sure you check out Ep89 of the Jim Rome Podcast because it's coming at you right now. Todd, I've been looking forward to doing this conversation or having this conversation for quite some time. It is great to have you on the podcast. How you doing? How you living? You know what? Doing well. Looking forward to a little calm before the storm that becomes the NFL season. So when you're in this business, Jim, you take full advantage of the dog days of summer. I know it's not what betters want to hear, but every time you need a little bit of rest before you start to go into the thick of things. You know, I was going to ask you about that, the dog days of summer. As somebody who's hosted a talk show for a long time, I know what these months are like. I don't want to skip ahead. I'm going to get there in a minute. But, you know, before we talk about that and the legislation and the changing landscape, given, Todd, that you've had a gig that plenty would kill for and you've parlayed that into a prominent position in the media, i got to start with your background. How old were you when you made your first bet? <laughs> uh, this is a right to self-incrimination, so uh, nobody out there is going to listen or judge my parents or anything along those lines. Never. When I tell them I was six years old when I started filling out my dad's office pools to try and get my feet wet in the industry. But, see, I was a much more advanced age, Jim, before I actually made a bet with a bookie. I was 12 years old trying to figure out how I could get a little action on Mountain West basketball late on a Monday night between Colorado State and New Mexico. 
found a kid in junior high school that was more than happy to take my $10, and the rest is kind of history at this point. I love that. Big West, or uh, Big Monday. We used to be, I was since I went to UC Santa Barbara, Todd, I loved the Big West back in the day. So when you were 12 and you made that bet, you bet that game, do you remember how you did? Obviously you do. What happened? Uh, I do. Actually, it was one of two bets I ended up making that night. I think New Mexico was a three-point road favorite on the road in Fort Collins. And you know how this goes, Jim. Anybody who's been in this business, they call it beginner's luck for a reason. I went 2-0, and thought, all right, this is going to be the start of a way to make a ton of money. It's worth the $4.25 an hour I was making at softball concession stands and thought, okay, this is where I'm going to find my calling. I'm going to be able to bet sports, and I'm going to have a lot more cash in my pocket. Uh, as anyone who's been in and around this business knows, though, you've got to learn to take your lumps before you can win consistently. And that might have been the only winning night I put on the books that college basketball season. Todd, I'm so glad you made that point. And I'm going to make this about you and not about me, but I was going to ask you just that point because I've told the story, Todd, that my wife Janet and I, we got into horse racing, and I never, ever had any interest ever in doing anything other than going to Del Mar a couple of times a summer, maybe having a few pops, making a few bets. But there was this one guy, Todd, Billy Koch, and he used to put together, he still does, racing syndicates. He was all over me. Buy a piece, buy a piece. You'll love it. You'll love it. My wife says, you need a hobby. Get the hell out of the house. We buy 10% of this Argentinian bred colt. He comes to the States. He goes off 15 to 1. He's running dead last. I think to myself, man, I'm the easiest mark in the fucking world. Literally, Todd, (laughs) the horse comes out out of the clouds to win this allowance race, just an allowance race, and it was like somebody snuck up and injected me with a drug without my knowing it. I was looking to buy anything and everything I could, and I think it's because of what you said. If that horse ran middle of the pack, I don't think I would have ever gotten the bug. How often does that happen where somebody walks into a casino, wins for the first time, and then they're hooked? Oh, I think it happens a lot more than people will ever let on because the one crazy thing about human nature and the way our brains work, you always remember the big wins. You don't always remember the big losses. So you can nostalgize certain experiences. You can forget about when you were rock bottom and you had a four-team parlay going into Sunday night football and it didn't quite materialize the way you drew it up. But it's that temptation. It's that, oh, I'm going to get back to that same level again. And you hit on it, talking about how gambling can be a drug. And we talk about it all the time that, you know, yes, we want to highlight some of the fun that people can have, but you do have to always be cognizant of some of the pitfalls that are there. And you should always be in a spot where you control your gambling instead of the other way around. And it becomes that shot of life that you can inject into your schedule Monday through Sunday, regardless of the time of year. Although I know most folks out there only want to bet pro in college football, and I can understand completely where they're coming from. Okay, and we'll talk about whether or not that's going to change with the legalization of gambling. But if you go back, so you got a taste at 6, and then you got into it at 12, and then you get to college. You go to Wesleyan, and you played hockey in college. What did you study, though, in college, and what was the plan, Todd, when you got out? So my background is actually in international economics. I thought going into school that I was going to work in finance, and much like a lot of my classmates and some of the kids I'd gone to boarding school with even before I got to Wesleyan, that, hey, look, numbers was always my passion, and trading stocks and getting into the financial markets, that's how I'm going to put the passion and some of the number-crunching ability to good work for, to good use for me. Ended up waking up probably two months left in my you know, undergrad course of study at Wesleyan and went, you know what? I don't see myself in that 120-hour schedule, the rat race of being in Manhattan. i got to figure out what other way I can use all the number crunching, my passion for sports, and some of those abilities to try and create a different career path. Ended up going home, bartending, fortuitous bounce. My aunt ends up meeting the president of Caesar's Palace on safari in Africa. The two of them commiserating on the back of a boat on some unknown river about how they can't get service on their BlackBerry. 
she comes back uh, from international travels and says, hey, I met somebody I really want you to meet. We create the introduction. I go out, interview for a financial analyst position with Caesars, thinking in the back of my head, I'm going to use this as a conduit to get into sports. Never in my wildest dreams would I imagine that 12-plus years later, here we'd be talking about legalization and the proliferation of sports betting across this fine country. Okay, and we'll talk about how you got from being an analyst to an odds maker, but one more thought about college. You did play college hockey, but you didn't necessarily see eye-to-eye with your hockey coach. What happened? (laughs) Uh, That is definitely true. So, a funny story there, uh, you know, I come in, we have the coach that recruited me, ends up retiring after my sophomore year, and we go through a little bit of the who wants to coach a Division three hockey program. They end up getting an assistant coach from a Division one program. He comes in with that little different mentality, thinking that, hey, look, I have all these Division three athletes. I'm going to try and infuse them with that Division one level of passion and commitment. Fast forward to the first road trip of the season. We leave Middletown, Connecticut. We're going up on a road trip to take on college hockey powerhouses, Salem State and Southern Maine, somewhere along that I-95 corridor in the northeast. We get off the team bus for lunch, and earlier in the trip, apparently the head coach, the new head coach at the time, had heard me calling my bookmaker to get some numbers for the early season college basketball schedule in November. One of my buddies up front, he said, hey, what the hell's Furman doing on the back of the bus? He said, well, college basketball started. He's probably calling to get his numbers. Coach then pulls me off the bus, gets within inches of me, and tells me I have to make a decision between my commitment to collegiate hockey uh, and my gambling because the NCAA doesn't exactly smile kindly upon that thing. Being the smartass that I was then, thankfully some of that's been beat out of me since, he says, you're not going to dress for this game. He gets about 15 feet away. I tell him, Coach, does that mean I can at least call my bets in? He comes back and says, I'll never see the ice as long as I'm uh, on that team at Wesleyan. Finished out my junior season. And, Jim, the first time I was ever quoted in Hockey News talking about odds to win the Stanley Cup, I made sure I forwarded that article right to him. He got a good laugh out of it and said, you know what? I think you made the right choice going into gambling. Because at 5'10", a buck fifty, I wasn't ever going to tend the nets. Uh, at the NHL level. I like it. Todd Furman, my guest. All right, Todd, so what about the process? How did you work your way up from being an analyst to odds maker? What was that process? How long did that take? So for me, it took uh, quite a few years, but I kind of bullied my way into it with the help of some very supportive mentors uh, throughout the Caesars organization. So Monday through Friday, I would crunch numbers, was learning the casino business, all the boring stuff, profit and loss sheets, MPVs, DCF. Helping to design casino floors, though, knowing that I needed to figure out a creative way to get into the sports realm. So I went down there, talked to the sports book vice president at the time, a gentleman named Chuck Esposito, who said, hey, if you want to come down, you want to learn this business, Saturdays and Sundays on your own time, we'll welcome you with open arms. So I was that pain-in-the-ass kid at the time that would come down there, ask all the stupid questions, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, trying to learn as much of the business. Fast forward a couple of years, he went on to take a different job at another casino. That wasn't the right time for me to leave the organization. And Caesars had decided, we've kind of become an afterthought in the sports betting world. We need to make a more proactive media push. Would you be interested in doing some radio? So I probably started with 5,000-watt stations that you couldn't hear off of people's driveways. Got the media training, took advantage of social media to try and network with people there. Markets got bigger. The company ultimately found a full-time spot for me down in the sports book. And it was after a couple of years I went, you know what? I need to try and get outside the shackles of corporate America and figure out how I can really begin to grow my brand and help make sports betting a lot more mainstream than it was at the time. All right. So in terms of that media itself, I mean, you were out in front of it, maybe on smaller stations, but you were doing it early on. What was it like in the beginning when almost no major mainstream media wanted anything to do with it? 
I think the questions were what fascinated me the most because a lot of the radio hosts had a passing interest in it, but they didn't know the terminology. A lot of the guys openly admitted, hey, we don't even know sometimes what the plus and minus means when we're looking in the newspaper to try and figure out how to interpret a point spread. So what I found is that it was educational more than anything else, and it wasn't just getting on there picking winners, whether it was in Springfield, Illinois, talking about the Bears and Packers game. But making that terminology readily accessible for that sports fan out there that didn't want to feel like you were talking down to them, to take a difficult concept on some level, distill it, distill it down to its bare essentials, and make it relatable and accessible. And I think what we've seen over the last couple of years is that people are sick and tired sometimes of the X's and O's that go into sports. They just want a different lens to view the games, and there's a lot of respect placed on professional bettors and odds makers for the way they see things. All right, I'm going to go back to that in a minute. But like even now listening, there's probably some people that are novice bettors. As an example, as an example, how does Vegas set a line, say, for the NFL? How does it work? It's part art and it's part science. And I know people go, well, wait a second, do we want to know necessarily how the sausage is made or do we just want to know if we bite into it? It's going to taste good. So the simplest way to try and break some of it down is most odds makers will develop their own power ratings. So every team has a numerical value attached to it. And whether it's the National Football League, college football, the WNBA, you name it, you, that's kind of where you start with a baseline. So much is made of what the home court or home field advantage is worth across different sports and how you value that. And essentially, it allows you to take the likes of an Alabama and, let's say, a Coastal Carolina in college football, put them on a neutral field and figure out that, hey, Alabama would be a 45-point favorite. How do I adjust based on public perception? How do I adjust based on current form? Drill that down, put the number out there, and betters will quickly tell you if your number is right or wrong. The NFL, though, as a lot of folks know, it's the most efficient market that's out there. So no matter how good you think a team is in the case of the Patriots or how bad a team is at the bottom of the barrel, it's rare to see two teams divided by more than, say, 14 points. Although in a pass-heavy league now, we've seen that disparity kind of widen as we get later into the campaign. All right. So, Todd, back to your other point, Dave. People are looking for different ways to look at some of these matchups. As an example, when you started to get bigger and bigger in the media and you had more opportunities, they would sit you down, like Fox Sports 1 as an example. They'd sit you down with guys who played the game, guys who played the game at a pretty high level. So, for instance, what were the athletes, the former players, looking at in breaking down these matchups? And then what were you looking at in assessing the same matchup? Well, I think uh, what's always so funny when you talk to former athletes about it, they never believe that a team isn't going to play its absolute best game. So when you look at an NFL schedule, they assume that, hey, the Patriots are always going to be at their best all 16 weeks of the season. We as betters know that's definitely not going to be the case, whether it's a third road game in as many weeks, whether it's a letdown on a short week coming off of a division rival or something along those lines. So what I quickly found talking to former players, they were great at assessing some of the X's and O's, the strengths and weaknesses of various teams, but couldn't understand how to try and quantify and factor in travel situations, letdowns, some of the individual matchups sometimes that they may have overlooked because they had an inherent bias one way or another. So I'll never forget the first time I had a chance to talk to the likes of Ephraim Salam and Donovan McNabb uh, back when Fox Sports Live got started. Uh, we were talking about a game, I think it was the Saints and Panthers, and the number had moved. New Orleans was a three-and-a-half-point road favorite. It moved down through three to two-and-a-half. And they kept pounding their chest saying, hey, this game is going to be a blowout. There's no shot Carolina can get there. And I go, guys, oftentimes the money's going to tell you a different story. Here's where I think the game is going to play out in a particular way. Thankfully for me, it gave me a little bit of credibility because the Saints went out there and played an absolute clunker. Carolina took care of business. And it was at that point, a similar 
interactions and discussions I'd had with former athletes where they begin to understand that these number guys may not have been out there. I couldn't even get to the line of scrimmage if you gave me the football. I'd lose about 13 yards and have 57 broken bones. But I can assess some of the strengths and weaknesses. I can look at the schedule and kind of tell you even now, if we look towards November, where certain teams in the league will be at their best and where certain teams will really struggle. Hmm. So generally, generally in football right now, like what do you like to bet? Do you bet full game, first half, second half, straight bets, over, under, parlays, all the above? How do you approach it? You know, combination of things, always looking to try and identify an edge. So uh, we've actually found a little bit of opportunity betting first half totals where teams typically play a lot truer to what we've seen over the course of the full season. They don't have to abandon their game plan uh, because the margins that they're going to face over the first 30 minutes don't get that wide. So if you get a punt or two early on in a game, there's no better feeling than knowing the teams need to score on their next six possessions or whatever it may be to try and put a game over the total. Uh, but I don't, you never rule out any type, whether it's a division future, whether it's odds to win the Super Bowl that will represent a much smaller portion of your bankroll. Uh, you take full advantage of what's out there. The one thing I will say, if you're going to spend a lot of money and or effort trying to figure out how to hit that 16 parlay, let all your listeners know out there, I'm more than happy to book their action. You and I can split the riches and try and begin <laughs> to further build your stable of resources over there. I like it. I like it. All right, so a year later now, what's, what is the legalization of sports gambling thus far meant to the industry and the betting landscape overall? Well, I think it's been a positive uh, in the fact that all the leagues never wanted to acknowledge the existence of sports betting and the kind of impact it could have on the TV ratings and the popularity of their individual activities. Now, to the NBA's credit, they were a little bit ahead of the curve. They acknowledged that, hey, look, we have a regular season schedule that may not be all that attractive. So if we can add sports betting into the mix, we're going to keep that viewer further engaged for a game between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Memphis Grizzlies. You look at the NHL bringing the Vegas Golden Knights out here. That was initially their tacit endorsement of, okay, gambling is here. It's not going away. The NFL will bring the Raiders out here. Uh, to start playing next season. And when you look at the other states that have kind of come online, it's just another way for a fan to get a little bit of skin in the game. The biggest thing that I struggle with is the amount of inaccurate statements that are made, whether they're on purpose or whether it's just ignorance, uh, from league officials, from team owners, from coaches, from the NCAA, what have you. The bottom line is this. Sports betting in 2019 or even before that was essentially like prohibition back in the 1920s. People were going to go out there. They were going to find a way to get their skin in the game and take advantage of their vices. All in all, it's much better to shine a bright light on it, have it unfold in a regulated market, because that's the greatest form of transparency you could ever ask for. I agree with that 100%. Now, as more and more states legalize, I mean, what kind of effect then will we see? For instance, are people who never bet or only betting on the Super Bowl going to suddenly start playing? In other words, will it turn non-gamblers into gamblers? I think that's going to be a process. Uh, I don't get the feeling that there is you know, a massive portion of the population that had always been itching to bet sports but was afraid to send their money to an offshore sports book or take advantage of a corner bookie or even fill out a parlay card uh, that you'll see in sports bars uh, across the country. So I think you'll see a little bit of that component, folks feeling more comfortable with it because they'll trust some of the markets. But I, I think what will really happen, and you look at the media landscape, uh, as different companies get in there, whether it's Fox, whether it's ESPN, whether it's CBS, NBC, you name it, I think people are going to start to 
feel more comfortable with the terminology. They're going to realize that there isn't quite that same stigma attached to it, and there's nothing wrong with being able to risk your $11 to win 10 if you want to have added attachment to a Thursday night football game between two cellar dwellers. All right, so now you touched on this. Now, what kind of advice do you have people who do want to get started, who maybe want that added attachment, who want to dip their toes in and get going? What's a good piece of advice? What should they go in thinking? I think the biggest thing is they have to see it, Jim, as a form of recreation more so than anything else. If they set aside money that they want to use to bet sports, no matter what it may be, that's got to be money that they're not afraid to lose. The same way that you go with your buddies to play golf on a Sunday and you know I'm paying for greens fees, that's kind of how you have to look at sports betting. I'm putting up my 50 bucks to be entertained for three and a half hours. If I win my bet, great. If I lose, I've paid for my entertainment uh, for that particular window because if people delude themselves and think they can roll out of bed in whatever state they live in and they're going to become a professional sports better, you have to keep in mind that less than 2% of the people that do this on a daily basis are able to turn a profit and they don't keep having sports books popping up or talking about some of the tax revenues across this country because everybody leaves every NFL Sunday uh, with their pockets a little more flush than when they started early in the morning. That's a really good answer. I was going to ask you that as well, and you just answered that for me. Now, I will say this, Todd. Once I started to get a little bit of action myself, it really did change the way I watch games, at least in the beginning. I mean, obviously, you're watching a different game. For somebody like you, once you've done all the work and you have your action, what's it then like to watch the games? For instance, is it better? Is it worse? Or are you totally detached? And is it just business at that point? That's exactly how it is. Uh, You have to treat it like a business if you want it to treat you like a business. So if you're investing in a financial market, you're not living and dying every time Microsoft moves up or down a point. You have to trust your process and know over the long haul you're going to be able to turn a profit. Now, sports are much shorter-term investment. And for me, if I end up getting too emotional watching a game or I don't properly assess what I'm seeing there, it won't only cost me that bet. I may... inaccurately assess a particular team or group of teams for the next three to four weeks. So I have to be very impartial. I have to go back, do my reading, look through box scores, and try and figure out, was it a good bet that lost? Was it a bad bet that won? Uh, And take that 10,000-foot view uh, of the space. Otherwise, you're going to continue to make the same mistakes. And as we know, the sign of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. That's right. You live in Vegas. I, I still actually kind of have a hard time believing that there is a professional sports franchise there, much less two. The town obviously fell in love with the Golden Knights for a number of reasons. Let me ask you this. When the Raiders come to town, will the locals embrace them the same way, or is it a totally different deal? I'm very curious to see that because as a former hockey player, as I know we talked about a little bit ago and a season ticket holder for the Knights, I didn't quite have any idea what to expect. Now, of course, the Knights' success right off of the bat really got the town rallied around it. Uh, But to their owner and managing partner, Bill Foley's credit, he really did a lot to get the players integrated into the community. I think when you look at an NFL team that only plays eight regular season home games, throw in a preseason game or two, there's a different level of detachment for those players if they're not going to call Vegas home year-round. So I think when you look at the Golden Knights, one of their initial marketing slogans was Vegas born. Hey, this team was born and raised here in Las Vegas. It was grown from the ground floor. The Raiders, because football is king, I think you'll see people gravitate towards them, but it may not be that same level of attachment because you're essentially inheriting a franchise that's bounced around quite a bit uh, throughout major cities in California. And I'm very curious to see as well what that dynamic feels like in a stadium if you're going to get diehard Raiders fans making the trip in from Oakland, driving in from Los Angeles every single Sunday, really turning it into a party weekend with the football being a cherry on top. All right, Todd, I am all in 
on the Cleveland Browns. I, I think they're America's team. I think they've got America's coach. I think they've got America's quarterback. I love them. I understand the concerns. How do you think, how do you personally think that they're going to do with all those expectations and now a giant bullseye on their back? Jim, I didn't want to hear that. I didn't think you were going to be drinking the Kool-Aid like everybody else here being a savvy better. I actually think the Browns First of all, are going to be overvalued this season. Maybe not necessarily week to week, but when you look at their odds to win the Super Bowl, their odds to win the division, uh, and of course the AFC, this is a team that has a ton of talent. They have all the playmakers you want at receiver, at running back, on the defensive side. Baker Mayfield, the heir apparent at quarterback. But all the talk, the bluster, the bravado, what they're doing is effectively putting a target on their back and a franchise that hasn't experienced any success in a long, long time all of a sudden has to deal with the weight of the world and those expectations. I'm not sure they're going to be up for it when you have such a volatile mix in the locker room. If they start slowly, let's see how Odell and Beck and uh, Baker Mayfield get along. Will that relationship start to fracture? What will it look like when Kareem Hunt uh, finally gets a chance to suit up and get out there and play? I think the Browns are going to be a fascinating story and would make an excellent reality TV show. Uh, I'm just not sure they're going to get any of my money in the futures market and probably not all that often on a week-to-week basis. Let's be very clear about one thing, Todd. I am not a savvy better. I am far from that. And I think you make really <laughs> valid points across the board. I love these guys. I can't get enough. I'm not only swigging the Kool-Aid. Man, I've got a giant Kool-Aid beer bong. I'm slamming that stuff. I can't get that in my system fast enough, but I understand where the objections might be. All right, so we talked about the dog days of summer. I know it's like to host a radio program this time of year in the summer, although it is getting better. What are the summer months like for you? Are you conserving energy or can you still find the action you're looking for? You know what? My, my betting volume goes down substantially. Uh, once the NBA finals wrap up uh, towards the tail end of June, this is kind of where you recharge the batteries a little bit, but it doesn't become a passive existence. You're always working on your college and pro football numbers. That process probably starts in spring practice. Uh, for, for a lot of folks, myself included, of course. And you continue to refine those. You're digging into all the practice notes. You're paying attention to media days. We know NFL camps are, are about to get underway as well. So you're constantly working, trying to figure out where that next edge is going to come. Uh, but you mentioned it. The sports calendar continues to get more filled up. And as there's more attention paid to the Women's World Cup, the Gold Cup, Copa America, the African Cup of Nations, You can dabble in soccer. You can spend your time with golf. You can work on tennis. It really becomes an opportunist dream to try and find one soft number that the bookmaker has overlooked. And oftentimes that's all it takes uh, to give yourself a little bit of extra spending cash or start to build that bankroll for the fall. All right, Todd, what about the Open Championship? How do you see it playing out? What do you like this week? Uh, interesting field. Uh, hard to argue with Rory McIlroy is the favorite. You look at his price tag right around 8-1. to one. Uh, And Rory, of course, hailing from Northern Ireland, a lot of familiarity here. Shot the 61 as a teenager uh, back in the day. You look at some of the Americans that will be breathing down his neck. I'm not sure I want to run to the window with a ticket on Dustin Johnson. I think Brooks Kepka is fairly priced at 10-1. to one. A guy I'd be looking at maybe further down the board, Patrick Cantlay who put together a poor round to start a pebble, but still ended up finishing tied for 21st, and is a guy I don't think is a household name just yet. On the European side, Henrik Stenson, he's about as steady Eddie as they come, and not getting any buzz whatsoever. 25, 30 to 1, you could do a lot worse. But if you're looking for some deep sleepers, uh, a guy like Matthew Wallace, I think, at 50 to 1, he has a chance to be in the mix come Sunday. 
his game very well suited for the Lynx course. But my pick to win, and I'm hoping the weather holds up for him, uh, would be the Arizona State alum, John Rahm. I think you look at the way he's matured as a golfer, a little more level-headed. He's got a game very well suited for seaside golf. And you look at how he's performed at the Irish Open the last couple of years. I think this is a guy on the cusp of breaking through, and it could come as early as this weekend at Royal Port Rush. I love John Rahm. Now, you mentioned the Gold Cup. Todd, I'm going to be honest. Him, soccer has never been my biggest thing. However, I do know the coach of the U.S. men's national team, Greg Burhalter, Here in Southern California, our kids played Little League Baseball together, so we'd sit in the stands and talk sports. So I've been really curious about his meteoric rise. It's going to take a little bit of time, obviously, for him to get a system installed, but Basically, so far, what do you make of what you've seen from the men's team? We know the women are killing it. What do you make of what you've seen from the men's team so far under him? You know what? I like the progress we saw. I know that everyone is ready to hit the panic button, maybe myself included to a certain extent, because when you look at soccer, having been a soccer player, never at a high level, I almost feel that's the one sport, gym where I have a little bit of an emotional attachment and felt devastated when we couldn't get through Trinidad and Tobago to go to Russia and play for the World Cup. Uh, so I look at some of the young talent, uh, whether it's Christian Pulisic, who is going to be the face of American soccer going forward, Nick Steffen and what he's mean, kind of taking the mantle from Tim Howard uh, between the sticks and net, and some of the other guys that are out there. Uh, I think they're headed in the right direction. Uh, I think beating Mexico would have lulled us into a little bit of false sense of security. So Borhalter has enough of the teaching tools that are there to get this team ready for CONCACAF qualification when we ultimately get to the hex. I think you have to determine the success of this soccer program where it is right now, just qualifying for Qatar. If you can get out of the group stage in 2022, that's a much different dynamic. But for the first time in a little while, I'm a lot more optimistic about where the program is heading. I just always worry about the talent level and what we can do to get some of the youngest, best athletes in this country uh, wearing the red, white, and blue out on the pitch. I'm having a blast with this. Don't go yet. A few more things really quickly. Now, NASCAR. How much action does NASCAR take, and who bets that? <laughs> well, NASCAR doesn't take an awful lot of action. I know uh, the folks in and around the sport would love to try and grow the betting handle to create that fan interest because it is a sport that typically skews to a very regional bias. Uh, for me, though, I actually became a NASCAR fan about four or five years ago because of the betting lens, identified a little bit of opportunity, had a buddy suck me in, and for a kid growing up in the northern suburbs of Chicago with a Jewish background and everything else, my mom loves to joke. I never knew when my son became a redneck with all the country music you listen to. <laughs> but that's what gambling does. It forces you to find some of those other sports, identify an inefficient market, and take full advantage. NASCAR, however, hasn't done me a whole lot of favors with their consistent changing of the aerodynamic packages. It's gotten significantly more difficult to bet this year than it ever has been in the past. Uh, but I love my races on Sunday. And for some of those folks that say the NASCAR season is too long at 36 weeks, add another 10 races as long as the drivers don't get burned out. It's a perfect anecdote for some of the other sports that we watch on a daily, daily so, basis. Todd, where else do you see inefficiencies or opportunities right now in what sports and what things? Well, you know what? I think when we look at the way the media landscape and the 24-7 sports coverage that's out there for a lot of the networks, some of those inefficiencies have been exhausted. Years ago, you could bet the CFL, and nobody was really paying attention to it. But once ESPN picks up that contract, odds makers start to pay more attention. Those numbers get tighter. We look at the WNBA and how that sport is being covered now. Those numbers have tightened as well. And I think the challenge for odds makers is always looking to make sure uh, that they protect their fortress. They don't want any weaknesses that are out there. So I'll tell folks that want to put the time in, college basketball early on in the season, when you have so many different teams that are out there, if you want to look and try and identify teams in a certain league, 
league. Maybe it's the Big West that you're passionate about, or you, you live up in the Pacific Northwest, and Big Sky basketball is where you're going to make your money. You can find a little bit of an edge before odds makers catch up, because in the NFL, week to week, they'll make wholesale changes. But in college basketball, and even in smaller scale college football, you can latch on to a team and get a little bit of value working in your favor for as many as three or four weeks. That's how you live in Vegas, of course, but you come to Los Angeles, you do some work with Fox Sports 1, you know this state pretty well. California is a pretty liberal state. How long before it's legal here? You know what? I wish I was a little bit more optimistic about the timetable in the state of California, especially knowing uh, some of the budget crunch that that state is working with. I think California is going to be a little later to the party. They're going to wait for other states uh, around that area to kind of warm to the idea. I know there's bills that have been introduced, uh, a lot of the, some, the casinos that, that have talked about it, especially some of the ones that are run tribally more than anything else. I think we're talking about California waiting maybe two to three years for legalization. I'd love to be wrong and be able to bet the under on that, uh, but I don't think it's coming nearly as quickly as Californians would be led to believe. All right, now, Todd, I had Molly Bloom on this podcast, and obviously I'd spoken to her brother Jeremy a number of times. I thought Molly was terrific. In fact, I loved her. I loved the movie Molly's Game. What did you think of that movie? I thought it was great, uh, and the way that they were able to kind of protect the identity of some of the big-name players in there. Having been in and around the space, uh, I found it fascinating to see the retelling of the story because I get some of those tidbits fed to me secondhand. I've never been in and around the poker community as intimately as that kind of went, went through everything, uh, but I think anytime you peel back the curtain a little bit and you're willing to give people a taste of what actually goes on in the betting world, whether it's poker, whether it's sports, whether it's anything else under the sun, uh, I think it's a fascinating look, and the way they portrayed that movie, I think they did an excellent job. When so many movies articles and everything else about the sports betting space or betting in general get bastardized, uh, I felt that was a fair and accurate representation, at least to the best that they can do on the silver screen. All right, so speaking of poker, I mean, I've been, a lot of people have been in Vegas for a big fight. A lot of people have been there for a big MMA event. What about last night when a guy like Anson wins 10 million bucks at the World Series of Poker main event and he's walking around town at midnight or you're walking around town at midnight, what was the buzz like in town? You know, the poker craze has kind of died down a little bit. You wouldn't know it, though, by the numbers for the World Series of Poker. I believe it was the second most, as far as entrance, the second most in the history of the event. So when you watch the final table, you see the strategy. Uh, that was one of the more energetic rails you'd seen between two players. Uh, and I have to give the Italian credit. His name eludes me right now. You come in there full tux, bow tie, and everything else, you're going to win the hearts of everybody else that's out there. Um, and playing for a bracelet that's worth upwards of a half a million dollars, $10 million in cash, uh, I think poker is one of those more fascinating games because there is no element of the house. It's still heads-up competition. You're playing against your fellow man or woman, and you're not working against the mathematical edge the same way that if you go to the roulette table, every time you spin that wheel, you're losing 5.26 cents on the dollar. And even in sports, you're giving away five cents for every dollar you bet, regardless of the edge you try and glean for yourself. All right, so a couple of quick thoughts. Help me with this, and tell me if this is just me or if it's not that uncommon. When I first tried to open an online account, it was not the easiest thing to do, Todd, for a number of reasons. Number one, I had trouble giving them my money. Number two, my credit card companies were not very forthright. Like, they just wouldn't do it. And when I finally found an account to open up, I did it, I used it, I enjoyed it, and then within several weeks or even a couple of months, all of a sudden they hit me up with your account has been disabled because of a callback or a drawback you know take that up with your credit card company and then I call them and they have no reference or no evidence of it and then when I go back to the betting concern and I want to pull the money out that I have in there that I earned they're like nope not until you reinvest the original amount of 
money and I'm going in circles. Like it was a big pain in the ass. Is this me or is this not that uncommon? You know what, unfortunately, I think a lot of people have had bad experiences uh, from time to time dealing with offshores, and there are a lot of fly-by-night operations uh, that are out there who they're in the you know, quick cash grab business more so than anything else. I went through a similar situation. I'd been betting college basketball when I was in college, trying to work out money for spring break to head down to Fort Lauderdale. Thought I had $2,000 coming my way. Log into the site, and the same type of situation unfolded. Fortunately, now there are a handful of very reputable offshore sports books that do extremely well by their customers. I mean, betonline.ag, probably one of the best that's out there. And you look at the way they go about it, there are always going to be rollover bonuses attached to it, very similar to what you'll even see with some of the newer legal jurisdictions, because people will get three to four times their money. They'll have to put it through over and over again. Uh, but some of the withdrawal techniques that are there are much better now. And I will say one of the game changers for the offshore world has really been the advent of cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency. That's something different, too. My guy, Ben Mesra, came on the show, and he wrote Bitcoin Billionaires. I can't lie to you. Like, you know how you said you're not going to check with Microsoft every single day and see if you go up a point or down a point? I bought some Bitcoin. I'm on that thing every single day, and I'm not going to say I live and die with it, <laughs> well, Todd. The volatility in Bitcoin right. or whatever crypto you decide to dabble in, a little bit different than uh, playing uh, the S&P or the NASDAQ. So I can understand why you're checking. And if you're only doing it once a day, Jim, you're light years ahead of everybody else that may be checking it every 10 minutes or every hour on the hour to figure out if the next Bitcoin billionaire or they're going to watch some of those coins at about thirteen or 14000 try and drip down to 8000 But the economist in me really believes in a decentralized currency, and if you're willing to ride the roller coaster uh, that is Bitcoin, I think it's an excellent way to try and diversify some of that investment portfolio. My man. So finally, ultimately, will mobile take over the industry ultimately? Could it take over brick and mortar? What's this thing look like going forward? It's definitely mobile. The most powerful devices any of us use in our day-to-day uh, is the mobile phone. So when you have that there, you essentially have a sports book in the palm of your hand. And I've been blown away by a number of states that haven't introduced mobile bills. They're still working under the auspices that this is the 1970s and that everybody is going to drive into their local casino. They're going to park their car. They're going to take advantage of a buffet, and they're going to bet their 16 parlay over the counter. If states want to try and approve sports betting and you're not going to legalize mobile, don't waste anybody's time. I think you look at New Jersey and the way they've done it, the numbers that they're producing from a betting handle standpoint sur- surpassing Nevada is directly tied to the very casual uh, and laid-back approach they've taken to mobile. I think it's the smartest, most effective way to do it. And if you can allow people to deposit remotely after they've signed up for an account, it's going to open that Pandora's box. The one trepidation and fear, and you have to be responsible with it, is you do worry about the problem gambling component that's associated with it. So I think it's so important for every state that introduces mobile, whether it's on the sports side or the casino, that they make sure they have the infrastructure there for responsible gaming because of the portion of the population that abuses any of the vices that are out there, whether it's gambling, alcohol, you name it, they're going to need that support system so they don't destroy their lives or the lives of their loved ones around them. So, Todd, when you first came to L.A. and you first got your shot to be on TV on Fox Sports 1, when they launched, you were there. What were the first few times in front of the camera on the set live? What was that like for you? Oh, absolutely scared shitless. And we weren't doing live TV at that point. It was all taped to live, so there was the opportunity. If you stumbled or stuttered over a particular word, they could bring it back. And as you get up there and you start to take reps, no matter what that job may be, you feel more comfortable. And the one thing, Jim, I remind myself of sports betting, and I'm sure you know, other media people do as well, we're not doctors. We're not lawyers. If you make a mistake, nobody's dying on the operating table. Have fun with it. Realize you're up there to share information at the end of the day. 
you're an entertainer. So for people that think I'm going to hit up 100% of my bets, and we definitely don't do that on the Bet the Board podcast, but we'll turn a profit, uh, you have to realize that we're giving it our best shot. You're putting the time and the effort, and the results will ultimately be there. But that was hands down one of the scariest experiences I've ever gone through, even more so, obviously, than doing live radio, where you can hide behind the laptop, you can set up all your notes, and you can buy yourself a pause here or there if you happen to lose that train of thought. You mentioned Bet the Pod. or you mentioned your pod, I should say, Todd. So you've done a really good job of diversifying your media empire as I let you go right now. For people who want more information, who want to know more about what you have to share, what would you direct them to? Where should they go? They can always follow me on Twitter. That's the easiest place, at uh, Todd Furman, F-U-H-R-M-A-N. Uh, we're getting set to do all of our college and pro football preview podcasts. As you mentioned, Bet the Board podcast is where you're going to find it. A beautiful orange logo if you happen to get lost in your iTunes or anywhere else where podcasts can be downloaded. And the one thing about that, Jim, we're not there to sugarcoat it. We're not going to pick every game. We're going to break down the biggest ones. And our goal is to kind of teach folks out there that thought process. And much like a Whole Foods, we'll give you some of the ingredients in one section to make you successful. We will give you that nice pre-prepared meal for those folks that are in a pinch. Uh, that one winner a week, and we typically pride ourselves in winning because if we're in this business and we're not winning for you, shit, we're not doing our good job, and somebody else will be there breathing down our neck trying to take our table scraps uh, right away from us. You understand that, and I know that's why you pay that price. I know that's why you prepare the way you do, and that's a hell of a conversation right there, Todd. I really appreciate it. That's a long one. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Great intel, great energy, and really entertaining, man. Thank you very much for that, and I hope we can do it again. Hey, I appreciate you having me. And, Jim, just don't go invest in all of that lucrative fortune of yours into the Browns' futures. If you want, I'm happy to offer a better price than you'll find elsewhere in the market. And that, once again, is why I do this pod. Long-form range where we can go deep on a myriad of subjects like we did right there. Hope you all enjoyed that and took something away from it. My thanks to Todd Furman for the time and for the knowledge. I appreciate that very much. 89 episodes in, and by now, I hope you've subscribed, because why the hell wouldn't you? Smash that button, and these conversations will find you automatically. You don't look for them, they find you. I tape something, you get something, it's free, it's that easy. Now would be a very good time to get subscribed, because my guest next week is one of my original sports idols, if you can believe this, Terry Bradshaw. So instead of trying to remember that, just hit subscribe right now and it will automatically ding your device next Wednesday and then you don't have to do anything except listen. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.